Welcome to Social Work Stories. I'm Mim Fox and I'm here joined with Liz Murphy. Hi Liz. Hi Mim. Everyone, today Liz and I are recording this episode from our cupboards in our homes. As the same is for everybody, we are housebound pretty much at the moment here in Australia and so we are recording this in our makeshift audio spaces and we wanted to make sure that we were keeping to t- keeping touching base with you guys throughout this really difficult COVID-19 time because we know so many of our wonderful colleagues, Liz, are caught up in providing frontline services and or working distantly now and some having lost their jobs as a result of this whole pandemic experience. Mm. Yeah, um, I, I guess I'll, I'll talk with you a little more about how much my life has changed since we last recorded, because I am actually one of those people who is not in isolation, but in fact, working in a COVID ICU ward at my local hospital. You're actually on the front line, Liz, doing this sort of work. Well, firstly, I just want to say I um, my cupboard has been... Um, cleaned out because I think that's the other thing that people are doing these days you've got a little bit of time on your hands you're cleaning out things so my cupboard is a lot more comfortable than when I last recorded from it um yeah so yes look how's it been uh amazing absolutely amazing is the first word that comes to mind. So much, so much planning and preparation has been going on. Uh, and as a result, some of us who were not um, on the clinical floor have now been drawn into it. And as I mentioned, my work, my clinical area at the moment is working in the ICU ward that has been sectioned off for COVID patients. Um, So I wanted to talk a little bit about that and my own practice and also about some of the other social work practices that I've noticed have been going on in the non-ICU but COVID specific space. And then generally about some of the, the impact that it's been having on our on our social work practice here. Okay, that'd be great. Yeah. Take us away. So I guess I also wanted to acknowledge that I feel both um, grateful about the fact that the Australian experience currently has been that there has been a, a, a oh, I don't even know, I don't even know the right word for it, Mim. It's like we expected the surge to happen, you know, as soon as it's been happening in, in say, Europe and in America. Um, but that hasn't been our story. So we've we've been able to um, prepare and plan whilst there is still time. And I feel incredibly grateful for that. But I feel just so, 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 so sad for the social workers that are working in New York at the moment or in Italy or in Spain or in the UK. And um, so it's, I'm kind of holding that that the moment as I'm talking with you. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for my own experience, but I just feel so, so heartbroken for our, our tribe. Yeah, I would agree completely. And our hearts go out to everyone. So I'll start by saying 
the work that we're doing in ICU is um, incredibly privileged and I feel really um, honoured to be in this space because the social worker is essentially the conduit between the uh, patient who has COVID-19 and their family and also the nursing and medical staff. And so we play a pivotal role in communication, uh, which which is often the case in an ICU anyway. Um, it's always been a space I've enjoyed working in because it's very much a team approach and the communication um, skills of the doctors and the nurses and social workers in, in particular are very good, very, very patient-centric and very family-centric has been my experience working in ICU. So in some regards, I'm glad to be back in that space again. And so part of our role has been getting a sense of who that patient is because our, our, our currently we've got some COVID patients and um, they're on life support. And so it's been important for us to get a sense of who that person is from the family because, of course, in a COVID ward, no family can come in. So it's only the staff and the patient that can actually be in this space. It's all shut off from the world. And so we've been working with partners and family to get a sense of some of the things that were important, are important to this person, um, some of the, the statements that they could be making as they're caring for the person, you know, whether it be, you know, what their interests are, um, you know, who are in their family, um, um, pets, um, you know, a little bit about their background. That, that helps the nursing staff in particular um, have, you know, talk with this person as they're, as they're providing care. Um, we're also using more uh, technology in that space. So, for instance, with one of our people at the moment, they've got their phone in there that... Um, the nurses um, put on at the suggestion of the family the other day because this person had a a, a playlist on Spotify and, and so they were putting that on as they were caring for, for this person. Um, a big, another big role is that we have to provide support to family who are incredibly distressed that they can't be at the bedside with their person. Um, and this is incredibly traumatic for them, as you could imagine. You know, they come in and the, the, the person comes in and essentially the family don't have any physical contact with them. So social work are really working hard in that space to bring some kind of connection. Um, next week we'll have iPads in all of the, uh, the COVID-specific ICU rooms and so we'll be using that more um, and social work will play a big role in trying to help families who maybe not um, got some of that know-how to help set them up so that they can be calling in via the iPad. Um, and God you know, like Mim, you know me, like my IT skills, and I'm really pleased that Ben and Justin aren't in this room with me because they'd be kind of giving me that condescending look that they often give. But my um, increase in knowledge around Zoom and <laughs> teleconferencing and Skype and um, how to connect people in creative ways using those those 
the, the, those um, materials has been enormous. Um, so, yeah, so that's what's been going on in the ICU space. Um, but we've also got a section of the hospital that is non-ICU but COVID-specific. And some of the, you know, just the daily struggles of how do you discharge someone home who's got COVID-19, who then has to go into isolation, who may be separated from their family and supports? How do you get food into them, to their household? How do you transport them? Because that ain't easy if someone has got COVID-19, I can tell you. Um, you know, and, and because our borders are shut down, if you've got your family support in another state, well, they can't come and support you. I think I think that's going to loosen, like the, the, the care, under the care requirements, I think they can come in. But then they'll be isolated then for however long they need to be, um, you know, whether it be two weeks or a month. And so there have just been some of those those things that, that uh, the practical impact of COVID-19 on, on families' lives and, and how social work can support them. I've got a student working with me remotely at the moment, and she's been wonderful at keeping up to date with all the different changes in um, non-government services, counselling services, um, uh, food services, transport services, and she, every day she updates our resource lists and, and you know, like Centrelink is going through a huge change at the moment. Um, and there are some payments that we used to be able to get, for instance, a lump sum bereavement payment for people to use for funerals and things like that. Can't do that anymore. So that's all shifted around and changed. Um, so it's um, that just keeping up to date with, with the services that can support our patients when we discharge them has been a big job. And then in emergency department at the moment, what we're seeing is um, some pretty, pretty, um, uh, like the last couple of weeks, there's been some um, horrible domestic violence situations that have happened, um, some child protection matters that um, are looking like they occurred as a result of families being in isolation. Um, and and even to physically be in, a, in the space now, um, so I'm on call today and tomorrow I've got to wear a mask and scrubs and a gown now and that's really like hard when all you've got are your eyes and your voice and we have to restrict like we have to restrict the amount of people that can come into emergency now too so that's really um, distressing for families when we have to actually say only one person can come in and then the final area that I just wanted to mention was, um, you know, we've talked a lot about how social workers work a lot in the death space. Um, at the moment, that's um, really um, changing by like several times a day that would change how we can actually conduct a viewing um, with, our, with, our, um, with a patient that dies. And I'll talk just briefly, like with a non-COVID patient passes away, we have to be very restrictive in the numbers uh, that of family members. Whereas before, you know, we would we would support you know large families to come in and spend some time with their deceased loved one. 
we can't do that anymore. We can, depending on the space, like if they've passed away in a non-COVID ward, how, what, the, what is the space in that room that they're in and how many family members can safely be in that? Um, and then, but we've got to also make sure that those family members are okay, that they haven't, that they meet all the criteria of, you know, not not potentially being affected by COVID nineteen. So there's that. And then for the patients um, that pass away as a result of COVID nineteen, um, the restrictions around that we're still waiting for definite guidelines, but it's looking more and more like it is safe to do a viewing of someone who has died as a result of COVID-19 under certain conditions. Uh, And it's also looking like our funeral directors will be able to facilitate that safely. But it's not 100% yet, but it it could be, um, which, you know, you and I both know, is important. Let's say, for instance, someone dies as a result of COVID nineteen, and they haven't their family haven't seen them since they've been hospitalised. How important it's going to be for them to have time and see that person. And so we've been really struggling with with you know advocating for for that. Obviously, safely for the family member and for our social workers, but. We definitely want that to be really seriously thought out because we know about the implications for the recovery of these families because it's a traumatic, incredibly traumatic um, loss, Um, having not been able to be with them over their time in hospital. So we're fighting really hard for that. Or not even fighting, but we're working really hard to to make sure about that. And then the next thing that we'll be focusing on is the post-bereavement support that our families um, will be requiring and what that's going to be looking like. And so there's a lot of communication going on with social workers, both nationally and internationally. Um, I mean, I can't even imagine what it must be like in New York at the moment in terms of the volume of people that they're having to care for and whether they've been able to kind of have these plans in place um, before they actually got the surge. You know what's staying with me, Liz, from everything you're saying is that there's a greater implication or consequences that's going to come for individuals and families down the track that we can foreshadow now, given what we know about complicated grief and about trauma recovery. Uh, I'm, I'm just feeling like we're we're only starting to see the signs of what will come later. We might get rid of COVID-19, but then we have the impacts, right? And there's so much focus on the economic impacts, and of course that's vital, but there's a well-being impact and a, um, a collective coping impact, I think, that is going to need to be measured at some point. I I absolutely agree with that. And it's certainly in the circles that I'm communicating in, it's at the forefront of social workers' minds. Um, and, you know, there have been comments made by various social workers that I've spoken with who are talking about a generational impact that this will have. Because it's 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 about also the environment in which we're all living in as well, Mim. Like, so whilst COVID 19's happening, we've got, you know, children growing up in it, like experiencing households in isolation. There's this impact of this, this COVID 19 that's kind of hovering around every household. 
this this worry that it might in fact take one of their family members. Um, so there's that kind of at the in Australia at the moment. But in and amongst all that too is the the economic crisis that's that's occurring at the same time, where people are losing their jobs, um, people are worrying about whether they're going to be able to stay put in their house if they've lost their job and they're paying rent. How are they going to cover that? I know that there's been a whole lot of um, um, payments now that are being released. Um, by the government to support people that are in small business or upping the payments for people who are on Centrelink payments already. Um, There's a lot of work that's going on in that space. And again, you know, good old social workers have got to get their head around all of that because they're also the the impact that it's going to have on, on the people that we work with. Yeah, but but back, I, um, I have heard people talk about that this could be a generational experience of a, of a massive community um, trauma. And so, yes, how are we as social workers going to work in that space to support to support people? That's right. When you can finally take off the scrubs and the have more than just your eyes showing, we get back to building rapport with people again, that's going to be the crux of the work actually, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, um, the other thing that I'm finding really interesting to observe is the different ways in which uh, social workers are working with their clients. Like I know a number of my um, colleagues and friends are doing a lot of their counselling work um, using uh, either Skype or Zoom or teleconferencing and Interestingly, a couple of them have said to me recently that they're getting more attendance than when it was, you know, a person coming in and being in the same, you know, counselling room, for instance, that people are attending more um, to the to this model. And yeah. I know we'll be using it a lot more in ICU when we're working with the families. Currently, I've just been using the phone more, but... I'd like to be using um, more of the Skype and face-to-face stuff with our families um, because it, it, it's another way of kind of, as you say, builds on that rapport and that connection. And so I really don't want our service to feel like a call centre. Um, I want it to be that we connect as much as possible and I think that has been the feedback from you know our social workers has been that it's been a good tool to be using. I think that's one of the things, Liz, that's going to stay into the future is that actually we broaden uh, the types of intervention that we do and our students will more and more be being trained in remote uh, direct delivery, right? So uh, counselling, group work, um, outreach, all of these things will then, our community development will all have an aspect of remote delivery. I I can see it in the future. I agree with you. And I I feel that that's a really exciting um, area for social work to be growing in. Yeah, I think so too. I think it is. And it, it's, been, it's been foreshadowed already um, in the past. It's not that it wasn't happening at all, but I think we have been pushed to move, um, you know, we've spoken on this podcast a bit about how social work is so one-on-one, face-to-face focused. And I think this is meaning that social, social work as a profession has to actually rethink 
how we undertake these interventions. I agree. It's a bit like um, in permaculture, there's this saying, the problem is the solution. And I think this is a great case in point that the problem has hot housed our um, development in that area. On that note, Liz, I think we might stop this conversation now. Uh, this is an ongoing conversation, Liz. We're going to keep talking about this in coming weeks and uh, do a range of different COVID-19 related episodes as well as sprinkling it with some of our um, other case, stu- uh, stories, case studies and stories that our social workers share with us. So looking forward to the coming weeks, listeners. And, um, and like we said before, we're really acutely aware of the experience that so many of you are having around the world, both in your practice, uh, but also in your everyday with your friends and family. And uh, we are thinking of all of you, our tribe spread out there across the world. Our hearts are with you. And um, please get in touch with us. Send us an email. Get in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram. We would really like to be in touch with you at this time. I think the most important thing we can say, Liz, to everyone is stay connected, right? Stay connected. Don't let social distancing prevent that. And we need to both support and learn together in this. I think that's absolutely right. We're we're not just a practice community, we're a learning community. So let's do that. Let's work together on this one. Stay strong, everyone. Take care. Bye. Bye.